Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. I have a question for you. Uh, and the question is, what is your favourite story? What's your favourite story? I know it's, some of you are like, you love Les Miserables or you love A Christmas Carol. We love A Christmas Carol in our house. We've been to Stratford the last couple of years when, they, when they've had it on and, and it kind of like felt like it was the marking of Christmas because it's so rich uh, in story and in imagery and meaning and power and all of that. And we've all got favourite stories. And there's something about stories that draw us in, isn't there? I think there's a power in story. We remember stories sometimes much more than we remember facts and principles and all of that. And we remember stories as well and they draw us in because we see ourselves in the story. And when you see yourself in the story, the story comes alive. And Jesus was the master storyteller. Okay? And and actually, the, the story of Jesus is a better story. And you and I are part of a better story if we want to be. And what we're going to do over the next three to four weeks is that we're going to open up one of the, well, a few of the stories that Jesus told. Well, it's kind of one really, but we're diving into a couple of others just to give us some context. And these stories are so powerful that to me, they motivate who I am as a human being, who we are as a church. This is who we are as a church. So if you're newer to church and you're newer to us, the next few weeks, I want to invite you to hang with us the next few weeks because this is who we are. This is what makes us tick. This is what gets us out of bed in the morning and the alarm clock. But this also gets us out of bed in the morning because stories are incredibly, incredibly powerful. And Jesus told stories often when you wouldn't expect him to. So in Luke 15, this is what happens. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, okay? Tax collectors and sinners is like a term in the Bible for all those people that aren't religious and that religious people don't want to be around, okay? And it's, it's almost like they shouldn't be hanging around Jesus, who was a rabbi. But people who are nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. Isn't that interesting? There's something in that for us. Anyway, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Religious people love to mutter. Did you know that? It's a great word, isn't it? Mutter. Say mutter to the person next to you. Mutter. Is that going to... Like, they muttered, this man welcome sinners and eats with them. And in Jewish culture, eating with each other was a massive deal. This was like hospitality, this was openness, this was family, this was community. They're muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now Jesus could have responded with, let me in my defence give, give you 10 principles and 10 points. He doesn't do that. He tells three stories. Let's go. Number one, Then Jesus told them this parable. A parable is a story with more than one meaning. It's got multiple layers of meaning. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, everyone who's listening understands this because sheep and shepherds, that's part of their world. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it, to which everyone says, no, and they start to laugh. Of course he doesn't do that. That's ridiculous. He's got 99. He wouldn't leave the 99 and go after the one. And when he finds it, Jesus says, in other words, I'm ignoring you, because he does go and find it. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. To which the people are still going to be muttering, we don't get this. 
You're hanging around with people you shouldn't. We don't get it. So then he tells another story. I'll tell you that in the same way, sorry, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Oh, hang on a minute. You're not talking about sheep, are you? You're talking about sheep to talk about people. Then he goes on and tells another story. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Oh, hang on a minute. That's the same thing you said about the sheep. So, So you're telling a story, Jesus, about a guy who had a load of sheep and lost one and went and found it. Then you're telling a story about a widow who had some coins and lost one and went and found it. And then he tells another story. This is where we're going. But he ups the ante because he's talked about sheep and coins and now he's talking about sons. And it was one in a hundred, one in 10, and now one in two. See that? One in a hundred, he's got 99 others. One in 10, she's got nine others. One in two. Then he says this. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. This is where he's going. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. We know this story really well. Some of you, even if you're uh, not Christians or not people of faith, you'd have heard of this. We call it the story of the prodigal son. I want to suggest this is the greatest story ever told, in my humble opinion. The greatest short story ever told. Uh, Before we get into that, I want to talk about the three stories because the three stories, parables are sto- parables, parables, parables are stories with lots of layers of meaning. There are four themes in these stories. Number one, something is lost. Something is lost. The sheep, the, the coin, and the son. And, and that something that's lost is valuable. What's lost is really valuable. The sheep matters to the shepherd. The coin matters to the widow, and the son really matters to the father. But then thirdly, it's so valuable, it deserves an all-out search. So the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes on an all-out search for the one. The woman turns the house upside down and goes for a search. And we'll show you over the next three weeks how much the father searches, not just for one son, but for two. And then when the lost is found, there's a party. You see, what's lost is so valuable that an all-out search results in an all-out celebration. Isn't it? An all-out search results in an all-out celebration. And here's the thing that throughout Luke 15, the word lost or lose comes repeatedly, time after time after time. And Jesus is saying, if you don't have a relationship with the Father, you are lost. Now, I used to always balk a little bit at that term. I don't want to be called lost. Anyone want to be called lost? It's like, ooh, you're calling me lost. That's a bit judgy, isn't it? Until I realised, and and this is the story in the Bible I preached about the most, okay? Some of you heard me preach about this, but I'm finding brand new stuff in this as well. That's the beauty of the Bible. You know, the Jews used to call it, it's like a prism, like like a diamond. You hold the diamond up to the light and the light refracts in different directions. You see things in lots of different meanings. The Jewish scripture had four levels of meaning. There There was the kind of surface meaning. Then there's another meaning. Then there's another meaning. Then there's a hidden meaning. It's so rich. But here's the thing, if you and I are called lost, that means we're valuable. Who phones up the police and says, you've got to come and help me, I've lost my can of Coke. 
You don't do that because it's not valuable. But you lose your son. You lose your daughter. You lose something valuable to you and it's lost and everything else stops, doesn't it? When you lose something. You know, for us, it might be the phone. (gasps) In fact, there was somebody who was here this morning who lost their phone on Tuesday night. And I did see them get a little bit focused until he found it and there was great rejoicing in his household. And he went home and killed the fatted calf (laughs) because what was lost was found. You focus when you lose something valuable. God is saying, Jesus is saying, when God the Father loses a son, everything stops and there's a focus because what's lost is valuable. This is the heart of who we are as a church, guys. Our mission is helping people to find and follow Jesus. Why? Because that's the mission of God. The mission of God is to see the the world transformed in the kingdom and I get all of that. But at the heart of all of that is a mission to help people find and follow Jesus. And over the years, I've been criticised a lot by people in the church and outside the church. We've been criticised as a church over our lack of depth. But when you criticise us over our lack of depth, you do not understand the depth of our convictions. We do what we do. Not, there's not a lack of debt because we believe that every single person created on the planet belongs to be, to be, to be home with God. That when the lost is found, there's an all-out party in heaven and heaven stops and says, listen, Chris Chris and, and Sue and Laura and Gareth, listen, they've come home and they stop everyone and they get all of heaven and the angels round and they say, listen, they've come home and there's a huge party in heaven. Heaven stops when one person comes home. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's, what, that's the blood that runs through our veins, helping people to find and follow Jesus. I want to suggest there's nothing deeper than that. There's nothing deeper and more meaningful than that. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this story through the eyes of the three central characters. Because there's not just a father, there's not just the younger son that we call the prodigal son, there's the elder brother as well. And we're going to look at the story through the eyes of the three characters. So you're either going to be fed up with the story after three weeks, or like me, you'll be in love with the story and you'll never get fed up of it because it's who God is and we are part of that story. And at times, you and I are the prodigal son. At times, you and I are definitely the older brother. But here's a thought. Maybe we should all be on a journey to becoming like the father. Becoming like the father. Henri Nouwen, who wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal, which I suggest you get. It's my wife's favourite book. It's not an easy read, okay? It's a deep book, if you like deep in that sense. But he bases the book on this painting. Well, on the Bible, obviously, but on this painting. If you go to the painting, please, thank you. This is a painting by Rembrandt. It's apparently it was in 1669. It hangs now in the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. One of his final paintings, one of the apparently greatest works of art in the history of the world. Okay, I'm not an art lover myself, but apparently this is an amazing uh, painting. And you probably can't see it too much. Hopefully the camera can help you. But you see the father with his hands outstretched over the, the son who's come home. And if you get closer to it, you can see that there's like a, a, a masculine hand and a feminine hand. It's so amazing seeing the mother and the father heart of God stretched out in hands. And then you see here the older brother with his hands clasped and we're gonna look at him next week. But we're gonna look at this through the eyes of the father. The problem is, it's problematic thinking about God as a father if you're a Jew. Because for a Jew, God as father is remote and distant 
and authority and out of reach and other than. But it's also problematic for you and I thinking of God as Father because of our own experience of a father, however good or bad it was. Maybe for you, your experience of a father was abandoning. And I don't want to dismiss that at all. That's a huge thing. Maybe for you, it's more of an absent. They were there, but they weren't there. Maybe for you, it's authoritarian. It was just never good enough. You came back with a report card and you got all those A's, but you got that one B. And that's the one B that dad wanted to talk about. Or maybe even abusive in all kinds of ways. Or maybe for you and maybe for many of us watching online or here in the room, actually, your dad was average. Do you know what I mean? It's like, he wasn't that great, but he wasn't that bad. And maybe that's the experience of many of us. Or maybe for some of us, we've had the privilege of having an amazing dad. So whatever your experience of a father is, that can be problematic when we come to thinking of God as a father. But I love how Louis Giglio, who's a guy who leads Passion Church in Atlanta, he said this, God is not the reflection of your earthly dad, however good he was. He's the perfection of your earthly dad. So whether your dad was abandoning, authoritarian, abusive, average, amazing, whatever, he's not the reflection of any of that. He's the perfection of that. And when we look through the eyes of the Father, what do we see? And I'm going I'm to take you just basically to one verse here in this story, okay? And I'm going to help you to see what I think is so powerful about the Father in this story. And there's a shock coming. You see... The dad gets his heart broken by his kids. Anyone identify? See, parents in the room. I heard someone say this morning in the break, you're doing a great job as a parent. We need to say that to each other more, don't we? Because many of us as a parent or a grandparent are walking around with all kinds of pain in our heart over the job we're doing as parents. You know, me and Alison make it our goal to stop in parks and in malls and in other places and say to parents, you're doing a great job. We've done it so many times and we've we've been greeted with some people bursting into tears. We've had that. Some people saying, thank you very much. Some people saying, I'm going to phone the police on you because you're weird. (laughs) We've had all of that. We're still going to keep doing it until they lock us up. But basically, basically, he had his heart broken. Because his younger son said, I want my shared inheritance. In other words, he's saying, I wish you were dead. Because when you're dead, I'll get the cash. And he gives it to him. That's scandalous in his culture. His community thought he was crazy. You do not do that. Scandalous. And then the guy leaves home. And you know the story, many of you, I'll tell it and we'll look at it over the next few weeks. He, he, he spends all the money. He gets loads of friends because he's got money. And then the money runs out and then the friends run out and he ends up in such a bad state that he's got nothing and he's eating the food that the pigs are eating. And in Jewish culture, a pig was an unclean animal because of the hooves and the law of the time, the religious law said that you don't even touch pigs, let alone eat them, let alone eat what they eat. So it's like lower, 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 lower. He couldn't get any lower. And then when he hit rock bottom... He came to his senses, the Bible says, and he turned and he says, I I had food, at least I had food at my father's house. And he goes home and he's got a plan that he's hatched in his head. It's not real repentance yet, okay? It's not really turning around in his head because his plan is to earn his way back, to work his way back, to prove that he can be a good son again. And then on his way back, 
this amazing thing happens, which I can never talk about this without getting emotional. But this is the moment, and I've called the title for today, When God Shocks You. When God Shocks You. And if you've never been shocked by God, maybe you've not met him. Maybe you've not met him. Here we go. So he got up, this is the son, from in the pigs, eating what the pigs are eating, and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And here's the shock. He ran. He ran to his son. I'll show you why that's a shock in a minute. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, now we read the text. I'm going to be a little bit poetic here, okay, and give me a little bit of license. But a Near Eastern scholar, theologian called Kenneth Bailey discovered something to the world which puts a lot of context and culture around what's happening right now. And what he discovered was this ceremony called Kazaza. I've mentioned it before. Kazaza, can we have the next slide, Nick, please? Oh, yes, there it is. Kazaza. And this is really important because see, Kazaza was, because we think that that verse, while, he, while, the father, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, had compassion on him. We think immediately Western thinking, don't we? So we think he sat on his veranda, he's on a rocking chair, there's a long and winding drive, and at the bottom of the drive, this very, very big house, here's the sun coming back. That's the kind of Hollywood look. That's not what he would have seen at all. We're talking about a community village. And he hears, he hears somehow that he's coming, that his son is coming back, but he looks out at the village and he sees a crowd somewhere out in the village and he sees somebody coming towards the crowd. And he knows that in the hands of the crowd, somebody is going to have a clay pot. And in that clay pot, it would have been much bigger than this one, okay? But budget constraints and all of that. He sees this, this and in this, in this clay pot, it would have been filled with um, dry corn and nuts, it seems a bit crazy to us. You've got to go with me, okay? And so they're going to carry this pot and they're going to come to the sun before he gets home to his dad and they're going to throw it on the floor and break it. And as it breaks, all of the nuts and the corn and all of the shards of the pot will scatter in front of the sun. And basically they're saying, you are now cut off forever. Kazaza in Aramaic literally means cutting off and this ceremony happened if you lost property uh, to Gentiles, people that were not Jews, or if you, got, if you lost your inheritance among the Gentiles, among the people who weren't Jews. Dad knows this. Dad knows this. Dad's heard that son's coming back. In fact, I'll show you later why dad knew that someone's coming back. That's another thing. He hears and he sees a crowd in the distance in the community. And then the Bible says, <laughs> and the Bible says that then when he saw him, he was filled with compassion. And what did he do? Here's the shock. He ran. He ran. He ran. So what he does is he runs. And this is the crazy thing because no Jewish father who was a wealthy man would run. Okay, but he's running because he's kind of looking, he's pushing through the crowd. You see, we think about the father as like a Victorian father or like Captain Von Trapp from The Sound of Music, you know, no emotion. But what he does is that this rich man would have had long flowing clothes like that dude there, okay, and he would have had to lift them up and all of a sudden, I'll go to the camera, as he was lifting them up, he would be bearing his ankles and his thighs and his knees and that's a huge disgrace. But he's saying, I don't care about the shame. 
because I care about the shame that's coming to my son. So what he does is he runs. You've got to keep up with me, Sarah, now. Come on. And he runs and he runs and he's pushing through the crowd and he's pushing through the crowd. And in his mind, he says, I've got to get to my son before that pot gets to the son. I have got to take the shame. I'm willing to take the shame so that my son won't take the shame. Now I need to pause for a minute. (laughs) Not for dramatic effect, but because I'm out of breath. And you see, he's saying, if I don't get to him before they get to him, he's getting cut off. This is a shock. Everybody who listens to this story says, no way. The guy's lifting his clothes, lifting his robe, showing his ankles, showing his knees, showing his thighs. And the guy says, I don't care about the shame. I'll take the shame so he doesn't have to. I'll take the pain so he doesn't have to to get cut off. And guys, this is exactly what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? Jesus came and took the shame that we should have taken so that we wouldn't be cut off from God. Jesus was broken at the feet. You know, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You've cut me off. Yes, he's cut him off so you and I wouldn't be cut off. And I want to say, maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe this is the time for you to come home to God today. This is the God who maybe you've never even thought about. God is not an authoritarian God in the universe that's always looking to to, to stop you having fun. God is not this this, this fable, this myth or this fairy tale. God is a passionate, lovesick, running God that would put shame on himself rather than put shame on you. That would put brokenness on himself rather than you be broken and cut off from God. This is the God who loves us, isn't it? This is the God who loves us and maybe you never heard that. Well, maybe you've heard that and you know it, but it's been a long time since God shocked you. It's a long time since you ran to the God who's already running towards you. I love what a guy called Donald Crayville says, the spirit of Jesus penetrates social boxes. We're going to dive into this next week. Barricades of suspicion, mistrust, stigma and hate crumble in his presence. He calls us to see the human being behind the stigmatized social labels. He welcomes people from all boxes. Aren't you glad about that? No shame guys here. And we'll talk much more about this next week. His love overpowers the social customs which divide, separate and isolate. The love of Jesus reaches out to boxed up people, telling them God's love washes away their stigma and welcome them into a new community. This is a better story, isn't it? That no matter what's happened to you in life, no matter what shame, no matter what stigma, no matter what social box or construct you've been placed in or put in or put yourself in, God welcomes you home. You love that? This is the heart of who we are as a church. So what? So what? How do we apply this today? Let me give you five things and then we want to pray. Number one, God is always the first mover in your story. These are things I want you to know, I want you to feel, and I want you to do. Okay? Some of these things. The first one is I want you to know God is always the first mover in your story. How do I know that? Listen, lean in here. This is good. Okay? There's a fattened calf. You see, fattened calves don't just appear. appear. It's not just always a fat cow. A fattened calf is a deliberate, intentional act of preparation. 
you would take a calf, you would fatten it up. I'm sorry, vegetarians and vegans in the house, this is going to get horrible, okay? You would intentionally fatten it up in preparation for a huge family celebration. I can't prove this, but I wonder if the father is preparing the fattened calf because he's already moving towards the son coming home. God is always the first mover in your story. And if you think God's not doing anything, you need to know God is always moving even when you can't see it. God is always the first mover in your story. Number two, it only takes a step to come back to God. He didn't have to come all the way home because he's running. He's running through the crowds. He's running to stop Kazaza happening. He's coming back. All you need to do is to take a step to come home. Number three, nothing you've known of a father comes even close to God as your heavenly father. I had an amazing dad. He's in heaven now. Missed him all the time. But nothing I've ever known with an amazing father even comes close to my heavenly father. And if you've never had an amazing father, maybe it's one of those other A's, you need to know he is not a reflection. He's the perfection of your earthly dad. And number four, oh, if God would rather cancel Kazaza than cancel us, how should we treat others? Guys, you and I live in a cancel culture, don't we? where somebody does one bad thing or a couple of bad things and we cancel them. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't be responsible and accountable. Of course they should. But let's not get sucked in to that social narrative that says that, hey, you've done something I don't like, therefore I'm going to kazaza you. I'm going to smash that. I'm going to cut you off. If God wouldn't do that for us, why would we do that for others? Let's not do that. And then number five, if God invites us to become like Him, what should that look like? We're going to become like the running man. We're going to become like the running father. The one who knows what it is to grieve over loss. The one who knows what it is to forgive. The one who knows what it is to be generous. What could that look like? You know, on Sunday, October the 1st, you and I get an opportunity. It's when we're going to land this series. We get an opportunity to give above and beyond financially. That's not the only thing. But we're doing that as a reflection of who our father is who gives above and beyond, who runs above and beyond, who loves, who gives, who serves, who's graceful above and beyond. So what about you today? When was the last time you ran to the Father? When was the last time you ran to the Father? Maybe for some of you, this is for the first time. Maybe you've never come into a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. What Jesus Christ has done on the cross that we've sung about this morning is the, 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 the means by which Kazaza doesn't have to happen to you. Instead, you can come home. And as we'll find out in the next few weeks, and that ring on your finger and those sandals on your feet and that robe around you and that fattened calf as well, all of what all of that means, which is so rich, becomes yours and becomes mine. That can happen for you today. Maybe for some of you, you're not yet ready for that, but you want to check it out. Alpha is an amazing opportunity for you. You sign up for Alpha, you can do that. If you're online, you can do it here uh, on, on this, on this um, lower third here that's on the screen. But hey, you can do that on your phone. You can do it in the connection point. Join with the other people who are learning about this. But I also sense that there are many of us who have come home. We aren't the prodigal son in that sense. But it's been a long time since we ran to the Father. It's been a long time since we felt His embrace. It's been a long time since we've felt that kiss on our neck. You know, that embrace and that welcome and that affirmation of the Father. And I want to pray for you 
as we draw into close. So maybe let's close our eyes for a moment. In fact, let's stand if we're willing and able. Let's stand just for a moment. And the guys are going to lead us in a, a new song, which is such a great song in a moment. And I'm believing that this song is kind of going to minister to you and to speak into your lives. But I want to just pray for a moment. And so if there is anyone, maybe just close our eyes right now. And if that's you today, and it's been a long time since you ran to the Father. Maybe your relationship with God is, is, has, been, has become routine and rote and, 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 and habits. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But it's just been a long time since you've run to the Father. And you've sensed the Father running to you. And maybe today, you know, you want to change your posture a little bit. One of the things that I find really helpful is just to change the posture of my hands sometimes. I want to invite you as well. If, if that's you, maybe lift your hands out in front of you. And I want to pray that in this season, even today, even now, that you would experience the love of the Father again. This incredible love of God. The God that would rather run, that would put shame on Himself rather than shame on us. That would... That would put brokenness on himself rather than we be cut off. This is the God that we love. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who runs. So Jesus, today, some of us in this room, some of us online, we're running to the Father. We're running to the Father. We're running to you because we sense, God, there is nowhere else we would rather run. There's nobody else. There's nowhere else. As we've sung already, there's nothing, nothing that's better than you. There's nothing and nowhere in the world that we could experience your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. So God, we run to you. And Lord, I pray all around this place, Holy Spirit, that you'd be touching people's lives even now in these moments and that we would be filled with your love again. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? Those of you that had a really bad experience of a dad, never known your dad, your dad, your heavenly dad loves you. He will never abandon you. He will never run out on you. He will never hurt you. He loves you. Receive his love today. Receive his love today. In Jesus' name.